Welcome to the Music Business Podcast. Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends, tactics, and insights from some of the world's brightest minds in music. I'm Jordan Williams of EQT Management. And I'm Sam Heisel from Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, welcome back to the Music Business Podcast. Today we have one of the first mentors that I ever had in the music industry, Brian Johnston. He's senior director of A&R Atlantic Records, one of the biggest record labels in the world. He's worked with Wiz Khalifa, Kevin Gates, Kodak Black, and with us, he shares a lot about his experience on being an A&R. He's been an A&R for eight or nine years. How it's changed since, since he started and how he's found some of the biggest artists that he works with to date. He also shares with us how artists that aren't discovered yet, quote unquote, can get to that level and get to meet somebody like him. Yeah, and no, I think it's a really, really awesome story. I think Brian had always had this ear, this love for figuring out what's new, what's popping. I think it was even before he knew what an A&R was, he was getting paid by Timberland, essentially, uh, to help him find new artists. So I think getting to dive deep into what Brian's looking for, into how he's able to effectively get the stars to align, how he's able to get artists to work with the right producers and push the teams accordingly, I think is a, it's just a really, really refreshing view in, in what makes this industry work, right? Which is creating quality music. So without any further ado, let's jump into the show. Brian, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Super Appreciate excited. It. Um, yeah, I think this is a fun one too, because I know you guys used to actually work together. So this is, uh, yeah, coming man. full circle. Yeah, man. I interned at Mass Appeal four years ago. So wow. I'm only 24. So it wasn't like it was when I was <laughs> back. I in was, the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't like too long ago, but, uh, it seems like forever though, let's be honest. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, it was right. It was right before I left to study abroad in Paris and anything oh, before that. Right. It's remember. like. Damn, that would, seems like a while. I seem like a different person. I mean, I kind of am, so. Four years in the music industry is uh, probably 15 years in any other industry. Right, exactly. Right? So exactly. it'll definitely age you. That's fun. So I know we were, uh, just before we even started rolling, already just talking about the definition of a and I think obviously there's a lot of different kind of lenses and perspectives, and obviously it's a complex role, lots of moving hmm. pieces, but like, how would you define a and ring and and what to you kind of defines a, a great a and uh, okay. Um, it's, there's a lot of, like we were discussing earlier, you know, there's versions of what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, the one I work in and I move and I, uh, that I feel is A&R, um, in addition to like what comes behind, you know, scouting talent, finding ones that you think of a voice that's compelling enough you want to be in business with, you know, getting to agree to be a part of your company and your vision, uh, in addition to, um, you know, helping them make an album, whether it's like, you know, you should work with this guy, you should do this. Like, that's the most, you know, low-hanging fruit version mm-hmm. of what mm-hmm. this is, right? And then there's you, in addition to that, it's working with, every new and upcoming to more established producer and songwriter setting up constant amount of sessions to deliver records for your team, your roster. So you might have an artist that is a hundred percenter, right? Mm-hmm. They, they're going to go in, write everything, deliver everything. They're going to find the producers they want to work with. Great. Like go off and do your thing. 
Um, but at the same time, I'm going to help. I'm going to try and meet them halfway. Be like, all right, I'm going to try and help them make the records they're not going to make on their own mm-hmm. to help them get over that hump. Maybe <clears throat> so I'll go off and work with the best songwriters and producers and either try and create the best hooks or just try and flip the best samples uh, to play or deliver for them. And then there's some artists that don't do anything. They just got a, they're just a vehicle for a great song. That's mm-hmm. more in the, um, you know, the pop and the pop rock and the dance world and stuff like that. You know, they're just got a good tone that people respond to maybe a great story. So it's on you to find everything to deliver everything. So, um, from like understanding what is a great record and why it's a great record. And then if you've got an okay record, how to get that from a C plus to an A plus, what goes behind that? Is it, I need a better melody. This pre-course has got too many syllables in it Mm -hmm. uh, to, you know, why this production, why this snare isn't going to work, or I need the snare from, this Nelly record, or I need, I need sort of drums similar to, you know, this Master P song, but I need the 2020 version, you know? Right. So like figuring out what that looks like and, you know, working with creatives and being able to like, you know, communicate what that looks like. And, um, that's to me, A&R, in addition to like getting the building excited, uh, communicating to the building, the, the label, Right. What, what it is, why it matters, why you should be excited about it. Cause you know, a lot of A&Rs, they might do an album or a project and they just hand it off to marketing and right. they just assume they care about it as much as you. Right. And you know, then they just go, then they go off and do whatever they do. Um, but you should definitely, the first two years maybe of a project, you should be a part of everything, the whole process and communicating what it is um, and, you know, helping to deliver their vision. So I don't know if I answered the question, yeah, but no, sure. no, that's awesome. I think, um, I mean, it seems too like there's definitely going to be some times too, where uh, just at least on the artist side and trying to orchestrate producers and, and artists, uh, some people are obviously easier to collaborate with than others. I mean, what's your experience? Uh, I mean, when it comes to, getting how have you gotten better at getting people excited to to work on various things rather than just like yo we need this verse please oh, yeah sure. i was gonna say like how do you i was pretty much gonna ask the same question like what how do you hone that skill you know i think that just comes from you know knowing how to you know communicate to people and how to do it um it's funny i was just having a conversation actually earlier today uh I've been working in urban music, if you will, rap and R&B for since I started, you know, in the music industry and seeing, you know, maybe the more pop rock A&Rs diving in, trying to discuss and have conversations with, um, you know, rap producers and R&B producers and not understanding what they're talking about. Mm. And, you know, that makes my skin crawl. It's like, ugh. But, uh. I think it just comes behind like experience over the years. Like if I probably go back and look at how I discussed making records when I first started, Mm -hmm. I would probably be very embarrassed with myself, but (laughs) I was putting myself out. I was learning the tricks of the trade that like, okay, I understand how to, how this person works Mm -hmm. or how this person best works. And I understand how to get the best out of, you know, Mm -hmm. the more A-list guys. 
But then the new young guys, the younger guys who I'm constantly hitting up, you know, they've got their own works and, you know, they communicate that to you. So you, you don't just, you don't just be like, hit them up, like, yo, send me some beats. Like, maybe that that's cool, but I want to be there. If I see they're compelling enough, like I want to be a part of that whole, I want to in two, in three years, four years, they could be the next so-and-so. Mm-hmm. So they remember I got them their first placement. Like, right. you know, Brian got me my first check in this industry. I'm forever look out for him. Mm-hmm. I've got a list of like, all the, most of the A-list guys, I probably got them their first check. And right now, anyway, I got Metro, his first check at Atlantic. Um, you know, so they remember that and they'll right. always look out for me, but I'm always good to them as well. So um, I think it just comes behind, you know, knowing how to communicate. Um, Cause there's a lot of artists that don't communicate. They're just not good at making friends and relationships like that. And some are, some are hustlers. Some will hustle their way into any room. And so. Do you think that you end up working more for, for younger, less experienced artists or it just depends on the person you're working with? So do you think you do that liaison role more for, more for newer artists as opposed to older artists or does that not really make a difference? Um, I think after a certain point, they're already, a, they're, they're a train. Like they're, they're, right. they're moving. They've got two albums out or an album and a half out. They're good. They're mm-hmm. on their own path. They're, they're, they've, they've figured out whatever the kinks are. Right. Uh, the new artists, it's still, you know, it's very fresh. And I need to, the creatives that I want them to work with, the producers and songwriters, sometimes the artist isn't a fan of me as the label guy mm-hmm. because it's not organic. Mm-hmm. So I need to figure out the best way to facilitate making that relationship happen. So it could be like, I like this guy's production. He'll send me a whole bunch of shit. And this artist, I was like, all right, I get a folder together. I play through ideas. I'm like, yo, I love this one. I love this. I love this. And they end up writing to this record. And then what I'll do from a particular producer, and I'll say something along the lines like, you want some more stuff from that guy? He's, he's dope. He's like, yeah, fuck with this. This is good. And then I get more stuff and I keep dropping the name. So what I'll do like a day later, maybe they record something. I'll put them in a studio in that same room, that same building. And I'll just drop the gym like, hey, you know that guy that did this? He's actually down the hall. And then they'll go make that connection on their own. Wow. There's a little bit of social engineering there too. Yeah, I think. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That's cool. You alluded to the kind of need a couple less or more syllables in this pre-chorus. I mean, uh, there's no one size fits all like plug and play formula for a a hit or a great song, but there are certain like trends. Um, What do you look for in a great song? Um, I mean, again, like you said, there's no one way to deliver that. I mean, you know, pop, pop and rap and urban music pivots every couple years and that's the new sound and that's mm-hmm. how people respond. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's new iterations of what it was before, but it's a more compelling voice delivering it. But, um, I mean, melody will always be king, right? Right. It will always be king. But, you know, a melody with, with a lyric will make something a classic at the end of the day. So if, you, if you're delivering a great song with a compelling melody, you can strip back the production, you can strip back whatever, and it'll stand alone on its own. So you can, however that looks like and sounds like, it'll still be that recording, that version of the record will still hold the test of time, so. Have you ever had to say something that the artist was upset about or maybe didn't agree with? And then once that happens, how do you kind of navigate that situation from there? Uh, all the time, 
all the time. Yeah. I mean, it really depends on your relationship with the artist. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that's, uh, I think that's just like any other relationship with any other working relationship you might have with somebody, right. uh, it might get contentious, you know what I mean? But they know you're out there, you're fighting for them. Right. At least I hope I, they, they realize that. Um, right. uh, and you're looking out for their best interest, but, um, some battles are worth fighting and some are just not. And I'm just like, we'll just let that go. Right. Right. But, um, I think it's a case by case basis really. Right. Right. Yeah, I just know artists, you know, it's their, it's their life's work. And a lot mm-hmm. of the times it's at all that they have, you know. So sure. uh, when you're giving critiques to them, they may or may not be open to it, just depending on the way that they think about their music and how much it's been a part of their life so far. I mean, I would figure that'd be more so prevalent with newer artists, people who haven't really worked with A&Rs before. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody kind of telling them, look, your sound would be better if you did this or not. Um, so obviously working at a major label, I'm just wondering what that experience is like for you. But yeah, I mean, depending on the person makes sense. Yeah, I think it's an artist by artist thing. Um, and who I know is open to that and is like wants to learn and why I think that. Mm-hmm. But some are just, you know, some are just a volume, right? They're just going to record uh, 200 records and I'll just find the best 8, 9, 10, 12 and we'll find, you know, pump those out. You know what I mean? Right. And then some are just like they take three days on a song. Or they take two days on a song, whatever. Uh, I'll I'll hop in and I'll help them find whatever that they think they're missing on that record. I'll try and do that. So is either one of them is in, in both of those scenarios is one easier than the other? Uh, or is it more just a different a different way of working? Yeah, I think it's just a different way of working. You come to expect certain things, like you know, some artists, you know, they're doing four or five songs a night, <clears throat> but I have to sit with the music. Right? Yeah, I gotta I've got to really dive in i've got to trust their team the people around them who are you know they're the hopefully they're not yes men and hopefully they're people i trust rely on the engineer quite a bit as well whoever's got a close relationship that can be honest with me uh we'll dig in and i'll pull aside you know the songs that i really like and maybe it's something the, the little tweaks that can be had to make a change to make it better you know i don't know but if if depends on the artist if something they'd be willing to revisit but um like production i can revisit easily you know i can just make a a beat harder or change some drums (laughs) or if there's a sample in there you know we can replay it or something like that so right yeah right looking back obviously it seems like you've collaborated and worked with lots of different artists and producers who stand out as some of the uh the best to work with and why uh producers uh artists and producers yeah either artist wise um i don't know man uh they're all they're all like different experiences uh i really i wish i could just drop Mm -hmm. a name like yeah this because of this but um i think what we did with Kevin Gates at the time where the music industry was streaming didn't exist like that at all at the time. It was still a mixtape sort of space, yeah. but the internet, as far as, you know, blogs and stuff, that wasn't a thing anymore either. Mm-hmm. So it was like this weird gray area where like things only lived on iTunes. Right. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't even like a SoundCloud wasn't a thing yet either. Yeah. So it's like either, you're on that piff, so you had to go to a website, 
or live mixtapes. So you mm-hmm. had to go to this website that didn't even have an app. So it was this weird <laughs> space of like a good two years that was like, that was the music industry. Mm-hmm. And I just happened to be working with this gentleman at that time. And I think, um, not saying it's easier now, but mm-hmm. there's definitely a lot more opportunity for discovery now. Mm-hmm. Like your algorithms are going to tell you, oh, Yo, you like this. You know, like if you just go down like just a YouTube whatever the next video is, you can just keep yeah. scrolling down. It's like, you're going to find the other version of this record from yeah. somebody else. Like, uh, so that's amazing by the way. And mm-hmm. then, um, but you know, Kevin at the time, I think it was just how we got that to the marketplace. Uh, I don't think anyone was doing it. I took cues from Gucci man at the time, actually Gucci was putting up everything he ever recorded on everywhere. Right. As well. He's locked up. Yeah, I think so. I forget what year this was, but he was just putting it everywhere. It was mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. You could just, but no one was listening to Gucci like that unless mm-hmm. you're a diehard Gucci fan. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was like, man, there's, there's no reason we can't A, put up a pre-order for a mixtape because no one was doing that at the time. Uh, put a mixtape out, sell it. At the same time, drop all the songs on, on, on YouTube drop it for free on Dat Piff or live mixtapes, um, you know, with Topbox, um, you know, everything that, everything that came with getting in all the DSPs, just at the time, whatever those were, right. um, no one was doing that. And we were doing, we were the first people uh, I convinced to do pre-orders for a rap mixtape. Um, and I think that, I don't know if people give Kevin credit for that. Uh, I don't think they do. But, you know, like people were, like Lil Wayne, a bunch of people were like running Dat Piff, like yeah. Meek Mill, like murdering Dat Piff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I was trying to do is kind of set up his fan base to be, be okay, be comfortable purchasing his music. Mm. So, yes, you got it for free. That's great. But at the same time, if we put a pre-order up two months out, people be like, okay, cool, $7.99, whatever. You know what I mean? Like I'll have it of the day and you just keep promoting the pre-order. And then I think when, when album time actually showed up, people felt comfortable. They felt okay paying for his music. Mm-hmm. Cause we did, you know, three tapes before three or four tapes before the album. Yeah. I forget what. So. Oh, that's super cool. Uh, yeah. Even today I know like doing pre-saves on like Spotify has become yeah, a popular thing now. Yeah. 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 Pre-saves. Yeah. Um, Actually, I don't even know how that works. Yeah. I mean, I think it becomes a playlist after you save it and it becomes available. So it saves it to your library so that when it does yeah. become available, it automatically downloads it. Okay, gotcha. Um, you can also set notifications now. So like you can say whenever this artist when drives one, gotcha. I can get one immediately. So I'm not sure how new that is, but um, I, I think it does that when you follow them. I'm pretty sure. I think I use the most basic version of what is Spotify. I just type in people's name and listen to us. But, like, <laughs> but I'll use like certain playlists and stuff like that. I, I know a couple of playlists that are like feeder playlists for other things. And right, I right. check those, but yeah. Yeah. I got like eight playlists in like an A&R playlist and I just shuffle them together like every week and then just go through as many of them as I can throughout the nice. day. Nice. So, yeah. Which leads us to one area, which is the kind of talent scouting component of the field that is A&R. I mean, is that something you focus on? Or, I mean, is that kind of like split up and divided and conquered by other A&Rs within Atlantic? Um, I mean, we have A&R 
you know, we have in our research as well. Mm-hmm. I think every, every company does. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have tools, you know, proprietary software within our company that, you know, that does that sort of thing as well. Mm-hmm. In addition to like, there's websites out there dedicated to that. Um, I mean, there's a million and one ways to come across talent. Mm-hmm. You know, if I, me personally, you know, I'm not concerned about numbers. I just really respond to a voice. And if I dig in and there's a bit of a story there, uh, you know, I'll dig deeper. I want to know what it is, why it is. If I'm responding to it, I'm going to assume somebody else is. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe the numbers just justify my gut instinct. Mm-hmm. Um, What's the, when you say a voice, you're attracted to a voice. What about a voice are you attracted to or what attracts you? Me, the first thing I notice is someone's tone on a record. Mm-hmm. That's why I always respond to that. Like whether you're a singer or a rapper, your tone. If your tone cuts through, it's distinct. Like I'll respond. Like if I played my mom like Big Sean and J. Cole back to back, she'd probably think it's the same person. Maybe. Mm-hmm. But if I played my mom, you know, Big Sean and Plies, she knows that's not the same guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um so they're vehicles for, you know, for that. Um, so that's the first thing I notice. That's the first thing I look for, mm-hmm. you know, how you get in and out of a hook, how you, you know, approach a verse. Are you compelling? Are you saying something that's like almost first person emotional sometimes? Or are you just a straight hit, you know, uh, you know, a hit writer? Like if your song is like emotionally hollow and it's not, not sonically set for the club or the car, like, I don't know what purpose your rap record serves. Right. Right. If I'm not legitimately learning something from you it, or you're putting me on some game. And then it's, you know, like I said, if it's, if it's, if you're not, it's not going to get played out anywhere or your friends aren't going to ride doing a car. Like, I don't know where it lives in 2018. How much of that um, is branding? Because obviously in the world of social media, a brand can carry an artist just as much as their music. How much of the A&R process for you or, the, or your coworkers is what is this person's brand also? Um, maybe, I don't know if brand for myself so much as opposed to like, is it contrived? Is like this guy, is he going to be found out? Is this real? Is this story mm-hmm. real here? Are these your stories? Right. Like once we go down that rabbit hole, like... Not that I'm saying you need to be, as long as you're true to yourself, like whatever version of yourself is, like um, that, that's ultimately what I'm looking for as far as a brand. Like, I don't care how you dress within mm-hmm. reason, obviously. Like, right, you just, right. You just can't be a cornball, I guess. But, right. Because um, I, I don't play to hipsters. It's a very small edge of the world, right? Mm-hmm. They move on so quick. Yeah. The regular people of the world, they're the ones who are going to hold you down forever. They're the people who keep, they're the people who buy merch. They're the people who show up to the shows, buy hard tickets. Um, and once they tap in, they're in there. They're part of their team so and so forever. Right. So that's super cool. What do you think? Um, I mean, leads to longevity obviously there's lots of artists that haven't hit have a hit and i mean you've worked with lots of artists that may have been in that situation where they did just have a hit and they kind of like fell off and never really had anything past that um but then you've also been in the presence and worked very closely with people that have had very kind of like long lasting sustainable careers and sure what do you think separates the two 
Um, sometimes, you know, having a hit out the gate is a, you know, it's a curse. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've gotten no, if you didn't, if you didn't do the groundwork, the legwork, and you built some sort of small fan base before you had that hit, um, the next record better be just as big as that one. Mm-hmm. And you got to come quick behind it. Because a lot of, particularly in rap, if, if you get a hit record, you're going to hit the road. You're going to go Thursday to Saturday getting the, getting the show, the, not even show money, the club money. Yeah. And next thing you know, it's been six months and you were getting 10 grand here, 20 grand here, 50 grand here. And it's like, oh man, I need a new song. And you, then you try to go chase that into a studio and, you know, and you're trying to follow that up so quick. Um, I've seen that time and time again. It happens all the time. Mm. So if you, if you have a hit and you, then you work your ass off for the next three months and you've got two missiles right behind it, you can probably stay on the road for three years. Right. Right. Legitimately. You can, you can ride that wave for as long as possible. But if you're doing the groundwork and you're the legwork and you're slowly just building and you, you're doing supporting act you're just touring you're just slowly building up from like 50 cap rooms you know you're going to take a loss right you're in you know topeka kansas right you know you're going to take a loss or you're a southern artist but you're out in oakland maybe you're going to take a loss right it's just like that slow grind and then when it's time for a hit and you then you have one it just it just amplifies everything you're doing Mm -hmm. um i think that's you know, the grind, I think that comes behind legitimate, like a uh, fan base that'll like, like you said, uh, I forget the terminology you use, but like, uh, you know, longevity. For, yeah, just for some longevity. And then you're just, you know, putting out quality material at a, at a rate that people can consume it at the same time, digest it. And then, you know, you're hitting the road, you're on the road a lot. Um, and you're actually getting, you know, hard ticket sales. You're not, you know, not just popping up at a club, you know what I mean? You're on a flyer and you're doing three songs, you mean four songs, but you're actually hitting the road and touching the people. I was telling Sam the other day, that was like one of the first things you taught me at, at Mass Appeal. Cause you asked me to look for artists and I was just sending you to artists that had like hundred thousand, 150,000 hits on SoundCloud. And you were like, that's not the only thing you should be looking at. And I was like, the first time I was like, damn, like ticket sales are, are important. Cause obviously I was young and that was my second opportunity to learn something like that in the music industry. The first, the first internship I had before that though was music publishing and I was in the administrative department. So it wasn't, it wasn't like we were really getting deep into that anyway, but, um, but yeah, it's just interesting you bring it up. Cause that was like one of the first lessons you taught me, I think a few years ago. So. Yeah. It's, I mean, touring is like, it's like your victory lap, you know, hmm. um, if you're, you're getting people to show up and, and you're next time you come to that town, there's a hundred more people. Right. You know what I mean? And then if, as long as you're slowly, you know, building that and you're, and those people, they feel like they're a part of your story from early on. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, like, um, like Wiz, like the Taylor gang, they'll forever hold him down. They're, they're not going anywhere. They were such a part of his story from the jump. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so yeah, no, that's really cool. When it comes to hits, do you feel like sometimes? I mean, have you been in situations where you thought it was going to be a hit and it flopped, and then vice versa, where you wrote it off, and next thing you know, it's just like smash it? Uh, yeah. I mean, so like what? <laughs> Both ways. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes records 
get attached to things that you didn't anticipate, right? Mm-hmm. And, or maybe they, they're the deep cut off a tape and, you know, that just starts raising its hand on its own. You're like, okay, this is, this is the record. Sometimes there's a lot of people who are scared to make those distinctions and just put out, want to put out the album or the project mm-hmm. and just see what people were responding to and like, all right, that's our single. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's things you deem. I'm not like, I, I'm not making that decision like, yo, we're going to spend a, a shit ton of money going to radio first because that's a horrible idea. Right. <laughs> like, let's just put it out there in the marketplace and we'll call it a single, you know, totally. shoot a video. Yeah. It'll something, it'll lead a project or, you know, you just need some content out there at right. the time. And, um, you know, you're not putting a real hard investment because it's free to put shit up on YouTube. It's mm-hmm. free to put it up there. So totally. if it's going to talk back, it's going to talk back. It's not at the expense of, you know, your whatever, you know, some. Right. And then, uh, cool, we'll spend some money at Mix Show or you'll do something here, you know, mm-hmm. the really easy to handle things. But you're not, we at Atlantic aren't going to go straight to radio with something we would never do. Mm-hmm. Right. Or now anyway, maybe years past, yeah. So how much of your job is like putting younger A&Rs on game? Like obviously A&Rs now, they get, they get hired like very young um, sure. You know, we have one on our team that's 20, 21 years old. Uh, I know I know another consultant. I think he I think he works for Atlantic. He's like 20, 21 years old. So how much of your job is like mentoring them? Um, well, it's not something we're asked to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we are offered an opportunity through, you know, particular systems. You know, we have um, we have internship programs through like certain colleges that want to come in and, you know, someone will spend three months here during the summer. Um, but I have like me on a personal level, I have about five kids that Mm kind of tap in and I give them opportunities constantly. Um, if I respond to their ear, like that's really what it boils down to. I don't need another version of me. Right. Right. Like I know what I like. Maybe I'll have somebody who, who I align with taste wise, like, on a personal level, like, yeah, this is my shit, <laughs> you know, let's, and I, I think they're just on the cusp of what I do as well, but I try and find the kids who are, you know, finding those things I'm not finding, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, that are people making the music that aren't necessarily in my immediate world. Um, and in addition to like, I really want these kids to tap into producers, finding those young songwriters and those creatives, like finding that kid maybe in, um, you know, Gary, Indiana, who's a rapper, but his voice, his tone isn't there. But, yo, this dude's a songwriter. He's a real songwriter. And engaging with them, you know, how many songwriters I've turned, I mean, many artists I've turned into songwriters, like over the years, just writing hooks for me. Mm-hmm. Like lots of them. And they get lots of looks. And they're like, all right, yeah, I was so close to giving up as the rapper thing because it wasn't working out. But, you know, then they becoming songwriters. So, it's just like, um, yes, I do mentor some kids. Actually, a young man that was at, uh, at Mass Appeal, who I gave him uh, an internship because I thought he was super inquisitive and I thought he asked a lot of questions. Mm. And some people thought he was a little annoying, but I loved <laughs> that he asked so many questions and he hovered and he, was, he, he, had a, he just got a job at Atlantic um, as a research a and His name is Adam. Wow, awesome. Good for him. That's dope. But I really like um, engaging young kids like, that want to learn. 
the ones that are like on some like I told you so or like yeah 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 constantly like <laughs> like you're telling them something like yeah yeah I know that uh, that's just tough but I definitely want to um, engage with more young kids just kids in general the kids that are like hanging out at studios till three in the morning those kids that are studio hopping in Atlanta studio hopping in LA they're just getting in the rooms I like to meet those kids a lot too. So how do you provide that level of mentorship without influencing their ear too much? I know you said you don't want them to be an exact copy of you. Is it more like you kind of prod them in order to think a certain way or how do you kind of draw that line? You know, um, I might groom their ear a little bit Mm. and ask them like, why do you think that's a, what what do you like about that? Where do you think that fits in the marketplace? Why do you think people are going to care about that? They might have to critically think about things. But at the same time, it's like, if you really believe it and you want to drop your nuts on it, like speak up, you know what I mean? Right. Like if you really believe in it. Um, but, you know, just giving them tips and pointers along the way, nothing in particular, like some kids are more, you know, artist wise. Some kids are going to be, I think, you know, this is going to be a song kid, you know, yeah. he's tapped in, he, he was a producer at one point or, you know, he, you know, he comes from this sort of background. So he understands how to communicate to songwriters. And then some kids kind of, cover both but i really enjoy that cool on the the corporate end i mean i think you definitely uh i mean we're looking at the perspective of like younger kids climbing the ranks for you obviously there's this the kind of the bureaucratic component of like you got like a fire record incredible record you want to actually get the marketing resources the support on that end can you just talk to your i mean and then at the flip side too i mean you worked in a bit of a smaller company like mass appeal versus like uh, Atlantic. Um, what have you learned when it comes to trying to foster buy-in? I mean, specifically at Atlantic in that situation. Getting people excited about a record. Yeah. So I, I know we're launching it, like right yeah. and getting it. Is it a, like a, a brand new artist or is it an established act? Um, be more difficult for brand new, right? Yeah. It's a different, whole different process. Uh, maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. Let's start with the brand new. Brand new, uh, you know, I'm A&R and some product manager slash marketing, you know, they're very territorial. Um, it's, again, it depends on what kind of music it is, where they are in the marketplace, where they are in the new space. Are they a baby, baby, baby? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or are they somebody who's had a little bit of love already? And, right. you know, they're getting press and things like that. Um I don't think there's like one way right. that this gets delivered. Like there's, a, there's people are doing things like, you know, like everyone does what social seeding, right? You're going to plug it into like a famous person's Instagram account or you'll attach right. it to a meme page, you know, things like that. As corny as that sounds, that shit works. That's what, ridiculous. That's what he does sometimes. Yeah. And I think my, my, our buddy, uh, Jordan Chalmers does a lot of that for you guys, right? Yeah, exactly. He, he worked his way in from being a pro, uh, digital you know, digital manager to mm-hmm. like, like that is what he does for right. Atlantic now. That's yeah. all he does is just, he's always walking by my office, like giving people tours. And I'm like, I don't know who any of those people are, but <laughs> evidently they're, they're really compelling. People respond to what they're doing on the internet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like some Instagram page with like 6 million followers yeah. <laughs> and they like cover roller skating or something like that. I'm like, what? but it exists exists. (laughs) the world of influencers gotta love it (laughs) yeah so that's such a weird world but then you've got a more established acts it's like 
all right, we're launching this to the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Or this is getting previewed at, you know, in a this is launching through this new Gap campaign or something mm -hmm. like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. that, that's such a, a bigger way to, to get records in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. um, if you've seen it, you know, we've done it, I'm sure. But once it gets to that point, like, they're already massively established and... um. Not saying I don't really care how it gets out mm -hmm. there, but it's going to do what it does on its right. own. Totally. Um, what's your relationship like with the artists' managers? Um, so obviously, like you seem very hands-on, and you seem like you uh, you kind of get into the nitty-gritty of the artist development and artist creative. Um, have you ever run into managers that are kind of control freaks about their artists, or you know you needed to kind of massage that relationship a little bit? Yeah, all the time, all the time. Um, I try and get it early on so they feel comfortable about making decisions, me helping make decisions mm -hmm. or just me doing what I do. Um, most of my day is spent on group text with different managers. Right. You know, whether it's their day-to-day -day and their, ma their main manager. Um, you know, some, some are more seasoned than others. Um, early on, if you're working with a brand new artist and the manager is green, very green, mm. you're the manager. Yeah, so that was going to be my next question. Vice versa, too. What's that like? Yeah, so if you, you and probably the A&R admin person and potentially the, and the product manager, you're the management team. Right. Minus the commission, right? So right. Uh, you help everything that comes behind whatever looks like the next, the first year or two potentially. Right. And not that I don't want them to be a part of the process. That's the last thing I want. I want them to learn what we're doing and why we're doing it. Cause I want them to be able to obviously help. And I try and give them as much resources as possible. I might have them meet a more seasoned manager I'm like, Hey, mm. you know, somebody I know that I'm friends with I'm like, Hey, can you spend a weekend with this guy? And just kind of like, you know, bring him up to speed on certain things, you know, like teach them some things, like go hang with him. Maybe he can lean on you without me there. Yeah. Um, so I try and do that as much as possible. Um, but some managers are, you know, they, they know it all and that's cool. You know, then some managers are really on top of their shit and I don't have to worry about anything. Right. It's like, let me go do me and you, you go off and then they come back to the, you know, within a week they've done what some managers can't even do in two years. So um, they're not, not all managers are the same. That's for damn sure. Do you think at a certain point, um, especially for these green managers, they kind of have to take control or else you can't, you can't work with them. You can't continue the relationship or do you just usually resume that responsibility until, until the deal is done or um, like has the, has the management or the team behind the artist ever become an issue with, the way that you work. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some artists actually, once I find out that it's a manager, this manager's involved, I just won't engage with them. Wow. I'm just not interested in being in business with them. Because mm -hmm. um, I know what comes behind that. The stress of this person is going to put on me. And unless it's like this artist is like a, a global, like, yo, this is going to be a life changer for me, then I won't, then I won't, you know, entertain that. But if it's somebody it's like, ah, it's cool, it's cool, it, it serves a purpose, it's good, uh, I, I just won't entertain it because I know how much stress that person's going to put on my life. Right, right. Interesting. I think you obviously you have a very, like, unique ear, and I think that's like, a, I mean, 
That's your job. Uh, what when you think of kind of sonically looking past the looking at the past like five to ten years, can you talk a little bit some through some of the trends you've seen come and go? And then I mean, we don't have to necessarily look into the future, but I'm just really curious from your perspective, somebody that like pays so close of attention to just little nuances and this vibe versus that vibe. Um, I mean, obviously we've seen like hip hop become like the leading genre right now. Like the whole like trap sound is huge, but I'm just uh just curious from your perspective, like what trends have you seen over the past like five to 10 years come and go? I mean, we know hip hop's been the leading genre for the past 15 years. Mm-hmm. It just didn't have a place to thrive and um, on a global scale that labels gave a shit about it and like brands gave a shit about it. And, um, you know, places like Dat Piff and live mixtapes and, you know, hand to hand tapes were, right. were, were right. running it. So, right. um, and now, you know, that's not the case, obviously, mm-hmm. but. As far as like sonically, um, it's like it just dips in and out so much, you know, just um, I hate when people try and make future sounding music, whatever that is, like, like <laughs> they try and sound like the future unless it's rooted in chords. <laughs> I think it's garbage. Like, uh-huh. um, but I'm going to do a horrible job answering this. Like, what are some, what are some things you're thinking? And then I can probably tack on like, um, Cause, I mean, from my memory, like in 2004, 2005, the biggest thing I could think of was like snap rap, like Soldier Boy, Young Jock, you oh, know, sure. kind of the whole I mean, dance craze thing. I mean, yeah, we could just do a lineage of like what kinds of stuff right. responded to. Uh, but the past five years, I don't know if there's been like a big sonic change. I mean, other than like maybe the real, you know, the stuff like Ronnie J's of the world, uh, the more bass heavy sort of 808, the muddy 808s mm-hmm. that come behind this last two to th- three years of what SoundCloud mm-hmm. rap was. Yeah, yeah, Um, You know, that's obviously, I mean, there's a million subgenres that's been doing a lot of different things, but the things that have, you know, kind of poked their head up and people have responded to outside of their immediate world was, you know, that sort of space, that sort of sound. And, you know, um, you know everyone says, you know, what what you know people like juice world are doing um in that space and little people is doing um you know they pretty much just like good charlotte records but without the live instruments you know mm-hmm. or they were like saves the day or get up kids records without the live mm-hmm. instruments so mm-hmm. yeah um yeah i mean that's kind of really been it for the past five years outside of like you know better versions of you know, like certain trap records that, uh, you know, like Gucci's been doing or Jeezy was doing or whoever was doing, or, you know, obviously the, the flow, the, the approach to songwriting the Migos have had has had a big influence on a lot of people. Um, Can you dive deeper there? Uh, I mean, outside of their cadence that, you know, they, that came from, you know, uh, Lord Infamous and what he was doing with Three Six Mafia in the, you know the mid '90s, early to mid '90s. Um, that's sort of the world. I mean, what Memphis rap did as far as an influence just on someone, even like a Gucci Man, um, that's still pretty prevalent today. Um, I think that approach to songwriting is you know it's kind of held down. What is this version of like Southern rap? at least the past five years. 
Do you think that in your role there is, do you feel the pressure at this point or is it sort of like, you know, you're just working? So um, are there any artists that you sign or that you maybe didn't sign that, oh man, I should have, I, sh- I missed my opportunity or you did sign them and you were like, you know, maybe this isn't a good look. And, you know, after that happens, do you, is, do you, are you given any anxiety or is it sort of like, this is just business at this point? Sure. Um, I mean, there's been quite a few artists that I should have signed, you know, I spent a lot of time with early on mm-hmm. and maybe I just didn't, you know, trust my gut. Mm-hmm. Um, or someone said something that kind of like, really? Oh man, maybe I'm, maybe this isn't true. Maybe I'm, maybe this isn't the right artist or so on and so forth. Um, I mean, I could, I can go through a list, but, uh, <laughs> I'm sure you want names. Uh, no, it's okay. I mean, it's up to you, man. I mean, we're not going to make you do anything you're uncomfortable with. It's more, it's, I'm just more so asking at this point in your career, do you feel, do you feel the pressure of being an a and what that means to the rest of the label? Or is it more like, you know, I'm just right. working. This is just what I'm doing. Uh, I mean, it is a job at the end of the day, right? Right. Uh, um, and performance, you know, you know, is, is key. Uh, I have a great relationship for the people I work for, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm not comfortable. I don't think that's in me just personally. It's just, it's always, I'm always chasing something. I'm always right. just like. Um, chasing the record, chasing the hit. I want to be first on this. I want to be, you know, I want to do this. I want to win. I want, I want the best for the label, the team, the artists. So, um, yeah, some things don't work out and that's, that's okay. And, um, you know, I, I always put my all into it, whether it's working or not, I still try and get the best out of, you know, uh, the artist and whatever the circumstances are, they know I, I went to bat for them. I did what I could to win. Um, and they'll, they'll never say it was A&R's fault right. because it didn't win. Maybe most of the time, um, it's a combination of, um, artist drive and what they want to put in to get out of it. So who was the, uh, who was the first artist you signed? The first artist I signed actually, it was a producer. Uh, well, I, when I first started, you know, I was at Atlantic and, um, Gosh, how long ago was that? 10 years ago? Eight, nine years ago? Nine years ago, I think. Um, and I was actually one of the first artists I was given was uh, I started looking over the day-to-day of uh, what Plies was doing. And I was getting a lot of records done for Plies and Lupe at the time, randomly. Um, and Flowrider, actually. Wow. Um, Eclectic mix right there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But it, it comes down to a song. And is the song gonna, you know, because um, I can appro- reapproach the production and fix whatever comes behind that. Um, but if it's a song is there, like you'd be surprised, like the songs that start as this start as a TI record and end up like a Flowrider record or, right. or vice versa. I had this one record that was uh, Plies, TI, um, Flowrider again. MIA, they all cut it and it never, and it got cut by another artist on another label and ended up going over there. Um, but like the approach of the record, you know, it was just came down to the top line. The hook was so, it was just right that it could live anywhere. It's just a matter of changing the production. Right. 
Um, how much of your job do you think is driven by competitive nature? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of artists that are out now, and it seems like sometimes before they even drop a record, they're already signed to a multi-million dollar deal. Mm-hmm. It just kind of depends on the artist. Um, do you let that get to you when you're when you're thinking about an artist? Like, oh, this artist could get taken by another label if I don't make a move on it. Oh, yeah, all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all the time. I mean, you're, like you said, you got to, you know, trust your gut to be able to, like, you're in there, they hired you for a reason and they trust you. Um, and sometimes you just got to be like, all right, let's go. I'm going to put my name on the line for this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether you're in there early enough to where you don't feel like you, you can get an agreement done with them that isn't, you know, going to be off the walls ridiculous, but it's going mm-hmm. to sort of speak back on what they're doing, where they are in their career. Uh, yeah. But yes, that's a very big thing. It's very competitive, obviously. Right. Even right. within the company sometimes, you know, like, you know, we've, if you've got, you know, 10 A&Rs, um, you're not all talking to each other all the time, right? right? So, um, right. that can get kind of iffy too sometimes. Have you ever wanted to sign somebody, another A&R on your team was up trying to sign? Like, has it ever been that directly competitive? Uh, not. It depends on the artist. Sometimes I'll just give it up and I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Because mm-hmm. I just don't like the, the contentiousness. Right. <laughs> That's just not me, I guess. Right. Maybe I'm just so passive in that regard. Right. Uh, but yeah, no, that's, that's never happened to me personally. I mean, to the part where I'm, I was like livid. I'm like, no, I'm getting this done. <laughs> yeah. I've partnered with people on certain things, but, or I've considered partnering. But When you look at the, um, I mean, we haven't really spoken much to your experience at Mass Appeal. And I'm curious the difference of the kind of the pros and cons of working at like a smaller, more boutique label like that versus like a bigger company like Atlantic. Um, would you enjoy, would you dislike, like, yeah. Sure. Well, when I was at Mass Appeal, you know, I had ownership in the company at the time. Uh, I was the GM. Mm-hmm. So it was really on my shoulders to like, you know, keep the lights on, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what came behind like managing the day-to-day of, you know, the people that work for me, that's a very different role than what is A&R. Right. It's like mm-hmm. the a- absolute opposite. So, you know, I came in there very green in the space of like really knowing what came behind getting a record to marketplace. Um, you know, I had, a, I had a friend of mine I could lean on for those kind of questions, a colleague and a gentleman named Amit that was very good in that space. He's probably one of the smartest minds in independent music to me personally, particularly independent hip hop. Um, I think he's really good at what he does. Um, but I was very fortunate to, have, to be able to lean on him in that regard, uh, even though he, he worked there sort of, but uh, he worked at a bunch of different other labels, but it's night and day, man. And, um, and then when it was, when I realized, I think I thrive better in the creative space, what, uh, what an A&R role on a day-to-day basis was, um, I realized, I was like, hey, this isn't for me. Yeah. It was just, uh, you know, I could, I could run an A&R department, sure. Mm-hmm. But, you know, getting an album out and like an artist really looking at you to deliver what that looks like, is tough um, with like a team of about six people at the yeah. most. 
Yeah. That's a cool experience, though. I mean, to be able to see both sides. From manufacturing, what it comes to actually designing a layout, you know, that's cool. That's cool. You know, making sure, you know, everything that comes with just from manufacturing to shipping, I don't know, just even that part, I had no idea about. I had Mm. zero, you know, references. There's not a book I could read about it. I just kind of trudged my way through it and kind of figured out as I went. Yeah. Asking a million questions. Yeah. Um, it was a great experience. And I'll take, I will absolutely, I took away a lot from what, what I, lo- what I learned doing that to, um, when I came back to Atlantic and, and, um, and, you know, had to roll out projects. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I really understood what, what came behind taking a record to marketplace. Cause before A&R wise, I would just be like, here's the album, here's the project. Cool. All right fingers crossed. And then I know what is actually getting done. And if like, is that legitimate? Why are we doing that? And I would ask too many questions and I don't know if they (laughs) hate me, Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Speaking of that, that role just of being an A&R, I think everyone, at least I did at some point in the industry realized what they wanted to do. So like I was interning at like four different places. They all didn't seem like they went far enough. I was like, I don't want to just be on a label. Like I want to be talking to the artist or like, I don't want to just be doing the pub, the publicity at that yeah. point. Cause I want to, I want to dig a little deeper into the album rollout. At what point were you like, this is what I want to do. I want to be an A&R. Um, you know, I didn't even know what it was. Um, I used to work in the film industry years ago, like in college, out of college, I was, uh, I did, something called grip and electric. I live in North Carolina. So I did lighting on TVs and movies and commercials and stuff. And on the side, I would shoot music videos, um, for rappers, whatever, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, I'd pop down there, shoot videos. And all the while, obviously I'm obsessed with music, right? Just in general. That's why I wanted, you know, to shoot rap music videos or just whatever. And I started, you know, I was in and out of bands, you know, from high school growing up. I was in marching band. I was a big marching band nerd. Uh, you know, I played percussion and I did drum corps. And I got into like really into collecting records and music and just being tapped into what that looked like. Mm-hmm. I DJed at a radio show. So, you know, it always came back to music for me. So here I am, I'm, you know, I'm working in film and... You know, I made a lot of friends with these managers for these, for these artists and I made friends with the artists and I just started like having lots of music conversations with them. And I seemed to be ahead of the curve constantly on like, 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 yo, you should listen to this or you should listen to this. And they were like, yo, Brian, you're always, you're always tapped in. Why, how do you know? And I, I didn't have an explanation why I knew all this stuff. I was like, yeah, I don't know. I just, that's what I do. I just <laughs> like to know what's happening, what's new, what's, and they're like, yo, you should be an A&R. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. I was like, what is that? And, <laughs> and then it kind of was explained to me and I Googled it and I was like, oh, that's tight. You can get, that's a job. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And then I was like trying to figure out what my life was going to do next. Cause I wanted to get out of the film industry. Because combination of things, you know, always out of town. I was in a relationship uh, with somebody and I'd be out of town for like three months at a time. I'd be in the middle of nowhere in Georgia or middle of nowhere in Alabama. And um, 
then I just, you know, I looked at guys that were working for and their quality of life wasn't that much better than mine. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, I got to get out now. So I just really Googled like how to be an A&R or what is an A&R? What comes behind it? And I was like, oh, this is cool. You know, I'm, here I am in North Carolina. I don't know anybody in the music industry, not even in North Carolina. And I just started like researching and reaching out and asking a lot of questions and fast forward a couple years and I ended up getting, uh, working my way in kind of random. Um, I might be misremembering this, but did you say you used to make mixtapes for people? Yeah. And then did Timbo end up getting at some? Or is that me imagining that? No, no, no. It was a while ago you told me that story. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, gosh, you remember that? Yeah. I don't know if I've told that to many people. Uh, <laughs> you know, where I'm from in Virginia, is a place called Newport News. And a, a buddy of mine that I knew through a mutual friend, he played piano. And I knew he was a producer. Uh, and I knew he made music with some people. But his name's Hannon Lane. And... Come to find out, he was making music. He was like Timberland's one of his main piano guys. So he was playing everything for Timberland. He'd go over to Virginia Beach, lock in for like a week or two. He did like rehab for Rihanna. He did like, um, so all that piano work, that's actually him. He made that in his mom's basement. Wow. Uh, on rehab for Rihanna. He made a bunch of like random, like Fallout Boy records to like a bunch of random like Flowrider records, like Elevator. Anyway. I was friends with him and he knew I was always on top of music. So he'd get in my car and I would just play CDs and stuff like that. He's like, yo, man, you should make me some CDs, man. I was like, he's like, you know, I need to listen to that new shit. You know, I'm just in church all the time or going to, <laughs> going to this studio. I'm like, all right. So I started making him mix CDs. He's like, yo, can you write down who the artists are on this? I was like, damn. He's like, I'll give you some money to do. I'm like, oh, all right, cool. <laughs> so I started randomly just making him mix CDs and I'd give it to him. I did it for like two months, three months, something like that. And I don't know how, I don't remember exactly how I ended up. He's like, yo, you should come by the studio if you're ever in Virginia Beach or something like that. So I ended up going over studio. First time I've ever been in the studio. I was like, yo, this is dope. It was like, it was like, you know, one of the coolest looking things that I've ever seen. And long story short, uh, he was kind of giving those mix CDs to Timberland. He was, he would like play them. And then Tim, like, I guess I don't know how Tim found, like, started, and I, he started finding out new artists and, you know, via those mix CDs back in the day. And Timberland comes in the room, Hannon introduced him to me. He's like, yo, you good, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and and uh, he had me, uh, he's like, this guy named Larry, I guess he was like right man, right hand man, Larry Live. He's like, yo, Larry, get his number. So Larry would hit me all the time and I'd go meet Larry and give him mixtapes and wow. give me money for it. Do you think that was validating to you as an, as a potential A&R? I didn't know what it was. You know what <laughs> I mean? It was just like, this is cool. Yeah. You know I mean? It was it's awesome. I didn't know how to explain it. I didn't know what it was, but you know, it was just kind of like a peg in along the way. I was like, and you know, Hannah was like, yo, you should really do this music shit, Brian. I was like, all right. And that's what kind of what like <laughs> around the same time the guys were telling me what an A&R was. This is like little, I don't remember if it was before or after it, but yeah. Did you guys end up ever reconnecting? Did you ever meet, meet Timbaland and then be like, yo, I'm that dude that was giving you CDs back in Virginia Beach? No, I met him uh, again in passing through something, um, but 
Yeah. No, I wasn't really tapped in with him like that after that. It's kind of odd, but. You want to get to these hot takes? Yeah. So the hot takes are essentially a segment that we do at the end where it's like not necessarily stuff that we believe, but it's stuff we've just been hearing in the industry. Uh, I just want to get your perspective. So for starters. So rumor mill stuff? Yeah. Rumor mill stuff. Like uh, um, one of them, labels aren't as invested in artist development as much as they used to be. What do you think artist development is? I think the notion of uh, rather than just like really trying to sign artists and churn out as many records as possible, really like working with them to help them grow. You want to dive deeper? Yeah. So um, this is a very broad term. So I just want to be clear. Right. I just I think for me, the defining thing is how early you find the artists. So, um, you know, I work with artists where we found we heard we are one track. Um, it didn't even have a ton of streams. It was literally just, it sounded so good. We were like, all right, let's, let's set something up. Um, I think there's a, a rumor in the industry right now that labels don't do that anymore, that you have to that's bring some farthest. sort of... I mean, for Atlantic, that's the farthest thing from the truth. If it's good, I'm going to go kick the tires on it. I want to see what right. it is. Why, why is it good? Who are you? Are you a real songwriter? Did you just get lucky that day? Were you right. writing 10, song, 10 years before then, and that's the one song that kind of cut through? Right. Like, are you prolific enough, you know, of a songwriter where I'm putting you in the room and next one's good, next one's good, next one's good. All right, great. You're becoming a real songwriter. Um, we, there's, a, there's thousands of artists that get signed to these labels all the time. Mm-hmm. Just people aren't responding to the music. Right. That's it. Like, they're doing all the things that come behind getting an artist to marketplace, but the music isn't doing the heavy lifting. Right? People aren't getting into the story. They're just not there. There's a lot of artists that fall under that umbrella. There's at every label. So, you know, I think people have a tough time with like certain, you know, certain artists they think are just trash being so good. And yeah. I know that speaks to kind of us as a culture. Right. Right. Us, you know, what, you know, like when Big Bang Theories the most popular TV show. Yeah. When like Jimmy Fallon hosts late night TV, like, like John, Donald Trump is president. Like just popularity in general just represents our tastes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of amazing artists that I think should be a lot more popular than mm-hmm. they are at the moment. They're like, they're my shit. That's what I listen to. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to their show. Um, but people just don't know about them. It's all good. Do you think you have a line in your head of, and obviously these sometimes it's sort of like a Venn diagram of this is the music I fuck with. This is what I think everybody else will fuck with. Or is it more kind of like, you know, all in the middle here? Yeah. I mean, there's things I understand. It's like a business move where it's like, okay, great. This is, there's a purpose for here. This one right here. It's not my world. It's not going to keep me up till four in the morning working on it, Mm -hmm. but I understand it and what it is. Now, I might sign it or be a part of it, but I'm going to bring someone along in the process, like another a r or somebody who's like, you know, like really is into it. Like, yo, you right. miss your shit? All right, cool. We'll do this together. Right. You know what I mean? And then there's things that like more passion projects, like they might not be the biggest global thing in that world and that's okay, but you might get a deal done that kind of speaks to what they are and where they are. And you just make sure the expectations in the building and the company or what that is. And that's okay. It's like, 
This isn't going to be a behemoth. You know, this isn't going to be Bruno Mars or Ed Sheeran. This probably isn't going to even be like, you know, some other, you know, much just a touch bigger. But this is this is their world and they're really good in their world or, you know, they do this. And, you know, you make those maybe make those cultural signings. So other artists, you know, see like, oh, they're doing something different. That's cool. You guys fuck with that guy. Oh, that's cool. And, you know, that speaks volumes sometimes when you're in the building when you know, you're trying to, you know, be in, be in business with people that maybe the better version of this guy. You know what I mean? Right. Like they, they like, so young artists respond to that. They pay attention to that shit constantly. Particularly, it's a small world. They probably know that artist and they'll reach out to them like, yo, Atlantic's trying to holler at me. What do you think? Like, yo, Brian over there is my guy. He'll hold you down. Like, all right, you know. Tight, tight. Which kind of leads to the next hot take. Um, older ARs are less in tune with the culture than the young guys joining the game. Uh, I mean, there's some cornball old ARs, man. They just <laughs> they have great lawyers, right? Yeah. And they've positioned themselves to like hold them down in a position. Like there's ARs and companies I've never heard of, and they're senior VPs. I've never <laughs> seen them once. Anywhere. I've never seen him in a studio anywhere. Yeah. I've never seen one other artist, even that's remotely on the rise, mention that they've talked to them. That's okay. Cool. I don't know what they're doing and I'm not concerned about it. And I'm right. glad they're old and they're in the space that they're taking up. That's right. cool. I have no problem with that. Um, but then there's old ARs that like they live in the world they're in. They're really good at the world they're in, you know, and like someone, someone's working on this more established act. Someone's holding down. You're not, you're, you're going to get a 22-year-old artist like working with, you know, one of your legacy rappers. It's just not happening. Right. You know, you need to grown up in the room, like a real seasoned grown up who has those old relationships because there's older ARs have really long-standing relationships and they're really good at building and maintaining those relationships. Right. Um, not everybody's, you know, the new cool stuff, you know, there's more established things over here that have been around for centuries, you know you know, for decades or whatever. And they've been yeah. there for a while. They all serve a purpose. Everyone serves a purpose. Um, there's no reason they'd probably be in the building. But a lot of times people stay in this business just off for sure, force of personality. You know what I mean? They're just a personality. They're loud, the loud person in the room. They're not necessarily right. They're just a loud person. Right. They just know how to get their way. Yeah. That's awesome. So I guess one last question to close everything up, but I think um, for different emerging artists or managers or uh, just what advice would you give for those emerging artists look, looking to begin working with a major label? Don't look for me. Don't pitch me anything. Just go do you. Just don't be precious with your music. Just get it out there and pay attention to what's going on. Like take cues from people you currently or take you know look at look at people you really fuck with and why they're winning what is it pay attention just be a whether you want to admit you're a student of what's going on just be a student of it if you're not going to the artist wise just make sure your manager is tapped into that just that's really it just do you and make the best version of yourself and people will respond to it amazing well on that note brian thank you so much man it's been a pleasure yeah man thank you brian appreciate it Man, that was awesome. What'd you think, Jordan? I thought that was great, man. Yeah. I mean, it was good seeing him after 
however many years since I've interned. You yeah, know, it's yeah, like yeah. a full, sure. a full Jordan all grown up now. Yeah, I know, man. Hopefully, hopefully he thinks so. I mean, he's still such a smart guy. It's crazy when you're around people like that. That that kind of helps you grow as a as a music industry professional. As soon as you're in the room with them again, you're a student again. You know, for sure. No, I definitely like really, really loved his advice that he had for emerging artists, which is to not look for ARs, to just focus on making incredible music, getting people to buy tickets to shows really kind of reiterated multiple times the importance of being able to get people to come out for your shows. So if you're a manager working with an emerging artist or an emerging artist yourself, like really focus on building out that community. I think it's, uh, I mean, that's what's really going to get the snowball to start rolling and building and really turn into potentially a, a career with lots of longevity. So I think, uh, I think Brian has become a master at really helping the stars align and really getting uh, all of the right pieces of the puzzle together on the production side and making little tweaks here, getting people to refine hooks, refine pre-courses. I mean, he even spoke just to the tact of there being too many syllables in the pre-course. I mean, just the, the level of depth and focus in which he's able to really deconstruct these sort of things is, is awesome. So, right. And I, uh, thought, uh, I thought, you know, one of the bigger takeaways, too, that we didn't get to talk about as much, but that people should hear is that it doesn't always need to be you. You can you can write songs for other people too. I think people don't don't think about that as much as if that's not as important of a career. These songs they have two sides to them. They have the recording and they have the composition, and that composition is just important. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't always need to be you that's writing or that's uh, recording the record. Yeah, no, fantastic point. So on that note, thank you guys so much for listening. As always, super grateful for your support. If you have any feedback or if there's something you liked, please don't hesitate to leave a review. It not only helps us make sure we're focusing on the things that matter to you, but it also helps ensure this podcast is getting in front of other people that are going to want to listen to it. So on that note, thank you. We out.